And so we do want to say thank you today as we celebrate this weekend of a Memorial Day weekend. I would just like for those who have either served in the past or are currently serving in our armed forces to stand at this time that we might honor you this morning. I thought I was going to hold it together better. Second service, the first service, I teared up as well, just thinking of the sacrifice that is made and the, and the, the efforts that are being put forth when it comes to serving this country, but also as I look out, the, the, those who are serving the kingdom of God. And so thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for joining us online as we continue through a, a series through the Gospel of Mark we're in Mark chapter 1, and it's this series of following the servant. And just yesterday, Brooks turned six years old, and he got a Bible. And I hope that uh, we cherish our Bibles as much as Brooks did yesterday anyway. Uh, first thing, he, he got his Bible out, and he keeps putting it back in the, in the little case. And he says, well, where are we at? Where are you preaching from? And I said, well, from Mark. And he's all, could you find that for me? And I was like, okay. And, and he's all, can, and then can you take this little thing and put it there for me? And I said, okay, I can do that. So I, I pray that you have your, uh, your Bibles with you this morning. And we're going to look in chapter 1 of Mark. Mark, uh, and starting in verse 14, will you stand with me as we read from God's word, as we hear from God this morning, as we continue through the gospel of Mark. Starting in verse 14, chapter 1, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. You may be seated. As we study through Mark 1, 14 through 20 this morning, the message is entitled, Jesus Uses Ordinary People. And I don't know about you this morning, but I feel like I kind of fall into that category. You know, I'm not too short, but I'm not overly tall. I'm not the weakest person, or I'm not the strongest person, but I don't feel like I'm the weakest person either, and I, I'm not overly talented, but I, I feel like I have some talents, and maybe some of you feel kind of like you fall into that kind of category this morning, of maybe being kind of average or ordinary, and when we look at Scripture, a lot of times in our minds, we think, well, God only used extraordinary people, right? He only used the ones that could do amazing things for God, and the reality is, is that's not necessarily true. And we, we start to ask ourselves questions like, well, how could he possibly use me? And yet, if you look close into Scripture, you'll see God using average, ordinary people, and guess what? So does Jesus. 
Jesus is looking for those who are willing to step up when he calls them. As Jesus gets ready to embark on this three-year ministry, he gathers around him average, everyday, ordinary guys. And these guys help change the course of human history. Each of us are at different commitment levels when it comes to following Jesus and being used by him. But wherever you are at this morning... I want you to know that God can use you right where you are at. God can use your gifts and abilities, talents, interests, and passions, even if you don't even feel like they're that noteworthy. And it reminds me of a story that I heard of of a conference that was taking place. It was a volunteer workshop conference. And during one of the sessions, the leader said, well, I'm going to have this go around, and you're going to say what sort of uh, responsibility you have at the church for the body of Christ. And then you're going to, on a scale of 1 to 10, you're going to tell me how important you feel like your job is. And so one gentleman raised his hand and he says, well, I I go out and I welcome people in the parking lot as they're coming in and I try to help kind of guide them and direct them on kind of how the service runs and some of those type of things. And and he says, okay, well, that's awesome. I appreciate your willingness to do that. Kind of where on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most important, do you find this job to be? And the guy says, well, I think it's a 10. Okay, well... You know, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this, you're out in the parking. You know. But a 10, okay, well, why is it a 10? He said, well, there was one Sunday where one of my friends decided to come check out our church. And I didn't happen to be there that day, and so I wasn't there to welcome him. And nobody else in the church talked to my friend that day. And because of that, my friend said he would never come back. And so this gentleman said that he was going to make it a point that any time that he was available, he was going to be out welcoming people into the body of Christ, to to welcome them into their services. And and it was kind of this perspective. He had this perspective that he knew he probably wasn't going to be someone that got up on stage to preach, or he wasn't someone that was going to sing a special on a Sunday morning. He wasn't someone that was felt comfortable teaching in a class. But what he was comfortable and and what he was passionate about was taking the time to interact with someone that might be brand new, to encourage them, to welcome them, wanting them to get connected. And Jesus uses all types of people throughout the kingdom to do kingdom work. And you might be wondering, how can God use me? How, How am I supposed to be used by God And the truth is, is that you need to seek where God is is directing you. And the real question that it comes down to is, again, God can use any of us. So are we willing to be used by God? Will you pray with me as we continue this morning? Father, we desire for your Holy Spirit that's at work among us, that dwells within us, to continue to challenge us, to grow us, to mature us in our faith, that we would look more like you and your son Jesus a year from now than we do even today. And so, Father, as we go through the book of Mark, the gospel, the good news that is shared with us from Mark's point of view, Father, I pray that we would hear from you this morning. It has nothing to do with what I have to say, but all about what you want us to hear. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. And so in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, we see how Jesus begins his ministry, and we see that the message proclaimed is to ordinary people. And so there's three M's that I would encourage you to write down this morning. The first is the message, 
It's to ordinary people. And then there's the method, which is God uses ordinary people. And then there's some meddling that takes place in our lives. And so it's the message that we begin with this morning. And it's to ordinary people. If you look in verse 14, going down through verse 15, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And you have Jesus beginning this public ministry in the region of Galilee, which, again, was not an overly prominent area. And he begins by proclaiming the good news among the average person. Anybody that would hear, he didn't go just to the kings and the queens and and the royal officials, but he went to anybody that was willing to listen. And according to these verses, Jesus wants the people to know that the time has come, That the kingdom of God is near, or in other translations, like at hand, as the New King James says it, is at hand, and then to repent and believe the good news. And so there are these three phrases that I would like us to unpack a little bit. And the first is, the time has come. And other translations, again, say that the the time is fulfilled. The New Living Translation, I, I appreciate the way it said it, it says, the time promised by God has come at last. It's finally here. The Messiah has come, and they're no longer to look forward to the future fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies. Jesus is now on the scene, fulfilling God's words among God's people. And so the context and the content of Jesus' ministry was precisely predetermined. It was exactly the right time, meaning God had it all planned out from the very beginning when Jesus would show up. According to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But when the, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And of course, the questions always arise like, well, why didn't Jesus just wait till a more modern time, right? Where there's a lot more technology, easier communication. You know, God, why didn't you get this figured out a little sooner? It would be so much better right now, right? And, and we think those thoughts, but I wonder if it's technology that would be a hindrance at this time in our culture. Can you imagine if Jesus showed up on the scene and he begins to do miraculous signs and wonders and people see that on the news, they're like, oh, no, that's fake news. That's not real. That photo's doctored. You know, that's photoshopped. That video, that's, that's a fake video. They obviously edited that video. And I really think that people today would really have a hard time of believing in the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. And so at exactly the right time, Jesus came and he proclaimed the gospel the good news. And we've been talking about this idea of the gospel and the good news for quite some time. And it's the kingdom of God is near. Part of that gospel message is that the kingdom of God is near. Or it's at hand. And, and so once again, the Jewish people are saying, yes, we're all right. Yeah, we're, we're finally, it's coming home. Finally, Jesus, you know, it's the, the Messiah, we got to have something. The kingdom is, is coming back. You know, we're not going to have to give in to the Roman rule anymore. We're going to kick them out of our land. We're going to have a king again, and we aren't going to have to pay taxes to any foreign government. It's, they were excited about this. But, of course, that wasn't God's plan at all. The kingdom of God is, write this down, 
It's this idea of God's rule over God's people in God's place. And this is something that's been taking place since the very beginning of time, I believe. That that there's this concept that took place even from the, the Garden of Eden. We have God's rule, which is don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you have over God's people, which is Adam and Eve. And you have in God's place the Garden of Eden. And of course, we know that sin caused them to be kicked out of God's place. And, and then you have the Israelites, who were known as God's people. And God gives them instructions, which is God's rule. And they were longing for the promised land, which is God's place. And of course, once again, sin casts them out, and they're exiled, and the cycle of God's rule, God's people, God's place comes back around. And the kingdom of God, even though, even today, I think about this, is the kingdom of God is here, or is at hand, or it's fulfilled that, that brings me hope because I think about me in my own life where I have God's word, which is God's rule, and I believe if, if we are in Christ, that we are God's people, and if we desire to be where God is, we're right in the midst of it. The kingdom of God, not only here earthly, but we have something better to look forward to. The kingdom of God is at hand it's, we're right in the middle of it, and we have the heaven, the new heaven, and the new earth to look forward to someday. And as we live right in the middle of it, we have hope that we're where God wants us to be, being God's people, following God's rule in God's place. And so what does he tell us to do? It says, repent and believe the good news. And I don't know if in your version it has a little exclamation point as we teach our kids at home. We, you know, what's an exclamatory sentence, an interrogative, you know, exclamatory. Jesus is saying, repent and believe the good news. And this is important for all of us to remember that the, the gospel, it doesn't mean good advice. It means good news. It doesn't mean good advice. As Christians, we sometimes come to Jesus just looking for some good advice. God, how can we fix this on our own? Tell me what to do, God, because I want to work on this on my own. And that's not how it works. Yeah, God is going to give us good advice. All throughout Scripture, there's good advice. But guess what? Every religion in the world gives good advice. Every religion says, do this, or don't do that, or this will help you out here, and if you stop doing these things, then this will go better for you. But when Jesus starts preaching, he doesn't say, the good advice of the kingdom is here. He says, the good news. And why is that important? It's because Christianity is not all about what you need to do on your own. It's about what Jesus has already done. It's good news. It's, it's news. It's a declaration. And this, this stuff has already taken place. The Messiah has come. The Son of God is here. The, the Messiah, the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus is the king. And the king is saying, repent and believe the good news. And this word repent, we've discussed multiple times. If you're brand new here and you're hearing this word for the very first time, it means to turn around. 
to do a U-turn. It's kind of like if you've been working hard to get your uh, beach body going, right? I, I know many of you are working on that. It's not easy, by the way. That's a struggle. Uh, I know it because I've been trying to count calories. And, and so, you know, it, it's one of the worst things maybe for you when it comes to being on a diet is trying to give up sweets or maybe cold stone ice cream. That's Maybe that's where your, like, Achilles heel is. And so you know that if you head down 2nd Street... And if you keep heading down 2nd Street, you're going to be tempted to have the urge to go into Cold Stone ice cream and completely destroy your whole diet. And so to repent looks like this. You're heading down 2nd Street and you turn around. You start heading in the opposite direction of what might be tempting you. And again, repent means that if you're heading in a direction that is sinful, then you need to turn around and head in a direction away from sin. And so Jesus preaches this message, repent and believe the good news. And by the world's standards, Jesus is a nobody carpenter preaching in a nowhere location, a message that's kind of off the wall that says, hey, if you've been following the crowd, you've been heading in the same direction everybody else is heading in, stop heading in that direction. And follow me, Jesus says. And that message is still true for us today. If you're heading in the, the direction that everybody else is heading in, that's leading to destruction, Jesus is saying, repent and believe the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And once again, every other world religion gives you good advice, but Christianity is more than good advice. It's good news. It's about what Christ has done for each one of us. And being fully God, Jesus became a man to be our king, to set up a kingdom that will last forever. And it's not about what you can do for yourself, but it's what Jesus did for you on the cross by taking your punishment and coming back three days later to overcome sin and death in your life. And I don't know about you this morning, but that, to me, is, once again, good news. And so Jesus proclaims this message, here comes the king, and here comes the kingdom. And everyone that's hearing this is getting excited. They're like, okay, well, yeah, who is this guy that's, that's preaching this message, and, and what's he going to do next? You know, they're, they're on the edge of their seats. And you would think that Jesus would say at this point, well, all right, let's, let's gather all the political leaders around. Let's, let's gather all the religious leaders around, and let's get them together because I want to start this massive movement. I'm gonna, we're going to get rolling, and instead, Jesus, in verse 16, says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. See, Jesus' method is always a little bit different than our methods, isn't it? His method was to use just ordinary people. And you might be wondering, well, who are these guys? Who, who are these random guys that Jesus decides to call? This Simon, of course, whose later name changed to Peter and Andrew. They're just, they're fishermen? 
you got to be kidding me. I don't suppose that any of us ever knew that fishermen had to go to seminary before they were fishermen. Did anybody know that? I, I didn't even know that. It, you know, it's because they didn't have to to be a fisherman. They didn't have to go to seminary. Well, I bet you didn't know that you had to be a religious leader to be a fisherman. Guess what? They didn't have to. To be a fisherman, you didn't have to be a religious leader. But do you, do you have to be at least a good public speaker? Nope. You basically, to be a fisherman, have to hang out in a boat with a couple other guys all day long. That's pretty much it. That's all you had to do. And, and, and yet, so Jesus decides that these are the guys, these are the ones that he's going to start this movement with. And he begins this ministry with this big proclamation in these first verses that we read here. That the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And then his first move... To start this amazing movement is to ask a few fishermen if they want to follow him. What? you got to be kidding me. Jesus, you start this worldwide movement by gathering a couple fishermen that are just sitting there in their boats. And you say, come follow me. And in my mind, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, this is not going to work. This just makes no sense. There's no like good strategy plan going on here. This kind of seems like he's flying by the seat of his pants. Well, guess what? It worked, people. It's still working even today. Aren't we still trying to follow Jesus today as we look at this book, the best-selling book of all time that is translated into so many different languages around the world in so many countries on every single continent? It worked. People are still trying to study through what it means to follow Jesus. And he grabbed a couple of nobodies and he said, come follow me. And I love the fact that Jesus' method to bring about God's kingdom began with get, gathering a few unassuming disciples. There's nothing special about these guys. There's nothing noteworthy about these guys. Jesus uses ordinary people to change the world. And that's encouraging to me. Because once again, I feel like I fall into the ordinary kind of category. He gathers these ordinary disciples together, and they together change the world in the book the master plan of evangelism author robert coleman doesn't give this big elaborate plan on how to be a good evangelist instead the entire book is about how jesus made disciples hmm i guess that would make sense let's let's go to the author of all creation and go to the one that did a great job of making disciples, reaching the lost. He called some guys to follow him. And the, the book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, really highlights how Jesus, he didn't even focus on the crowds, but he focused on the, who the crowds would follow after Jesus was gone. And so Jesus pours his life into these men he comes up to these guys right where they are in life, right at their workplace, at their jobs, doing their thing. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, hey, you guys, stop what you're doing. Come follow me. And can you imagine that? If you guys want to do a little social experiment on awkward situations, I think this would be it. Tomorrow morning, Monday morning, maybe people aren't working. So let's go Tuesday morning. You can just go out to a construction site. People are working on a new building or something. And you just go out to those guys that are working hard, jackhammering. Like, hey, could you stock that jackhammering for a second here? Hey, come follow me, and I will make you construction workers of, for men, all right? Hey, 
And, and can you imagine how that would go over? I guarantee you what happened is this, hello, can we get security down here on the, the floor down here? Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't go over real well, I don't think. And as you read this, it seems really weird and almost shocking that Jesus would do this. But I think if you look even in chapter 1 of John's gospel, it does appear that Simon and Andrew most likely knew Jesus before this moment. They had heard him preach, and they had heard him teach, they had been around him, and in fact it's believed that these first disciples were also disciples of John the Baptist as well. And so guess what? What was John telling everybody to do? Follow Jesus. Hey, he's the one. Start following him. Don't worry about what I'm doing. Follow Jesus. And so when he walks up to them at work, I don't think it's the first time that they encountered Jesus, but it still seems pretty shocking, doesn't it? Jesus was willing to take a chance on calling a couple of ordinary guys, and it blows my mind that Jesus is willing to take a chance on all of us. Jesus calls us to follow him to become a disciple of Jesus, and, and then we have to be, we have the responsibility to go and make other disciples. As we read in verse 17, there says, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. See, it just doesn't stop with us becoming disciples. It continues on that we are taught to the point where we can then go and reach others for Jesus, to make disciples ourselves. And I think about that, you know, especially if you're new in your faith, it can kind of be almost, kind of puts you on edge a little bit. Maybe it makes you nervous to think about that idea, it makes you anxious, and you don't know how everything's going to work out. Well, guess what? That's okay. You don't have to know how everything is going to work out. And I love how Simon and Andrew respond here, verse 18, where it says, and at once they left their nets and followed him. You see, you don't see Simon and Andrew saying what my kids say when I ask them, hey, are you guys ready to go? They don't just jump up and like, okay, yep, yeah, no. Like, they're sitting there like, where are we going? What, what, we already, what, what? We're already going somewhere? Well, who's going with us? Are we meeting someone there? Are we going to have some fun while we go? Where, where are we going? And all these questions come up instead of just immediately like, hey, are you ready? Let's go. All these questions, well, I still got to get my shoes on. I, I, I'm not ready yet. And all these excuses take place. And James, excuse me, and Simon and Andrew, they didn't, they didn't come up with a bunch of excuses and questions. It says that they, in some translations, immediately or at once left their nets and followed him. And I wonder how many times is Jesus calling us and we come up with excuse after excuse or question after question i would challenge us this morning to to stop asking questions to stop making up excuses and just follow jesus amen, amen. i mean that's what he calls us to do and if we are true disciples of jesus then we have to expect that jesus is gonna meddle in our lives it's, it's not always gonna just be pretty perfect you know uh, American idea of what our lives should be like, Jesus is going to get in the middle of that. And so again, there's this message to ordinary people, and it's this method of using ordinary people. 
And then there's this meddling that's going to take place in our lives of ordinary people. And as American Christians, a lot of times we're willing to follow Jesus to a certain extent. You know, I'm willing to be a follower of Jesus as long as it doesn't get in the way of my family time. That's, That's scheduled. I can't. Jesus, don't get in the middle of that. I'm willing to be a follower of Jesus as long as it doesn't require me to be uncomfortable. God, I, I enjoy my job. I enjoy, you know, my lifestyle. I, I don't want to get uncomfortable with anything that's going on in my life. I, I'm willing to be a follower of Jesus as long as it doesn't get in the way of my future plans and goals. God, I have, I have thoughts and ideas and goals and, and dreams of what I want to do with my life, God, Don't get in the way of that. And as Christians in America, oftentimes we're willing to follow Jesus, but only to a certain extent. And there's a children's song that goes a little like this. If if I had a little white box to put my Jesus in, I'd take him out and hug his neck and then put him back again. And that song seems so innocent. There's other verses. It's, a, it's kind of a fun little song. And it seems innocent enough, but the truth of the matter is, is that there is no box in this world, in your life, that will ever fit Jesus in it. Jesus is so much bigger than any box we could try to put him in. And he, he doesn't need a permission slip to tell you what to do. If we are true followers of Jesus, he's going to meddle with our lives. He's going to get right up in the middle of our business. He's going to say, hey, I, I know what's best for your life. This is how things should go. If you read verses 19 through 20, we see some meddling going on. It says, when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and followed him. And do you hear in these verses the different areas of meddling taking place? James and John are in the boat with their dad. They're making a living the only way they knew how, and they must have been making some decent money because it says that there were hired men in the boat as well. Their futures were set. They they were good to go. Life was great. And what does Jesus do? Jesus calls them to leave the family business, to be uncomfortable, and to change their future plans. See, Jesus is going to mess you up in a good way, all right? Don't forget that last part. Jesus is going to mess you up, but it's going to be in a good way. Because I know, I hear stories of different individuals that have six-figure jobs, and they give all that up. And they go wherever God is leading them, and they're the most fulfilled that they've ever been in their lives. From a human standpoint, it seems like God is meddling in so many different areas. And if we are to be real disciples of Jesus, then it it isn't about Jesus asking Jesus to help us with our agendas, but aligning our entire lives in submission to his agenda. It's not about trying to figure out how Jesus can bless my stuff and my plans. Jesus isn't a means to an end. Jesus is the end. Do you get that? It's it's all about Jesus. He is the goal. He's the one that we're to be living for. 
And it's not come make all the things that I want better. It's I surrender. It seems almost rude for Jesus to come up to these guys in the middle of what they do for a living with their dad and the hired men in the boat and call them to be disciples of Jesus. And yet, I would like you to think about it this way. The audacity of Jesus' call to discipleship only makes sense if he has the authority to interrupt our lives. The audacity of Jesus' call to discipleship only makes sense if he has the authority to interrupt our lives. And so the question is, does Jesus have the authority to interrupt your life? I think he does. Or at least he should. He's the God of creation. He knows you better than you do. Jesus is our creator. He's to be our king. We are to live our lives in submission to him. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we? Are we daily living our lives in submission to him? Do we daily deny ourselves taking up our cross and really follow Jesus wherever he leads us? In Matthew chapter 26, around verse 58, Jesus has been arrested, and it's the account of Jesus being brought before the Sanhedrin. And again, in Matthew 26, verse 58, it says that, Peter followed Jesus at a distance. Jesus, he followed him at a distance. So he still followed him, but it was at a distance. You see, Peter wanted to be close enough to see what was going on, to kind of keep an eye on Jesus, to have Jesus in view, but not close enough to follow Jesus that it might require any sort of sacrifice on his part. And I wonder how many of us today are following Jesus from a distance. We, we want to keep Jesus in our sights just in case we need him. Jesus, I'm in trouble. How can you help me out? But we aren't willing to be close enough to Jesus that it really changes who we are and how we live. And if that's you, something has to change. We have to be willing to have a blank check mentality when it comes to our relationship with God. Wouldn't it be awesome to receive a blank check from someone, especially if they're wealthy? You know, if they're poor, you don't want a blank check from poor people. But from, from uh, have a blank check given to you, and, and, and that's the kind of mentality that we have to have when it comes to our relationship with God. You have to be willing to say, whatever you want, God, I'm available. Whatever it costs, God, I'm willing. Here's the blank check of my life. I know that it can be scary, but that's what Jesus requires. Full surrender. If you're going to be all in with Jesus, then you better be ready for him to meddle in your life. And my prayer is that you will immediately follow Jesus no matter the cost, just like those first disciples did. And so as the praise team comes this morning, the message is clear. Jesus uses ordinary people. Have you responded to the message, which is to repent, to stop living for self, to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is our king and his kingdom is here? Be, be willing to follow him 
which begins at baptism for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit? And then, are you willing to be part of the method, the method of continuing to make more disciples? Are you gathering people around you to do life together? If you're a true follower of Jesus, are you allowing Jesus to meddle in your life? Do you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus every single day? If you need to follow Jesus into the baptistry to be baptized into Christ for the very first time in your life, we'd invite you to come as we sing. Will you stand with us this morning?